Hello, Crusaders. This is a quick note from your humble editor. Uh, first, I want to apologize for the delays. That's uh, no one's fault but my own. Uh, but uh, the good news is we actually have another episode recorded, uh, and that will be coming out uh, not too long after this one. And we have some bonus material um, that will be coming out between those episodes. I also want to mention that this is a spoiler-heavy uh, episode for the Fantastic Adventure. We talk a lot about what's going on in the module, so if it's an adventure you will be a player in, uh, you may want to uh, skip part of this one once we start getting to the module. Or, um, you know, I kind of assume most podcast listeners are thinking about running the game rather than playing the game, but uh, who knows? And then I also want to say uh, we do have permission from Trollord to host a PDF of the original sword and sorcery rules and that should be available with this episode i want to thank you for your patience i know we've been gone for a long time and i know this is a free product and no one's mad at me but i am a podcast consumer and i know when the uh podcasts i love to listen to uh aren't coming out it i'm not mad i'm not angry but i am disappointed and i'm just want to say sorry uh if you've been disappointed and thank you so much for your patience and thanks for listening Conan, what is best in life? Crush your enemies, see them driven before you, and play castles and crusades. That is good. That is good. Here we are, Crusaders, for our 19th episode of the Crusader Podcast. We have a special guest with us again tonight. Matt Golden, one of the co-creators of Castles and Crusades, has graced our presence to be on the show to talk about the previous episode, Sword and Sorcery. And we're also going to review one of his modules, The Fantastic Adventure. And that's always exciting because it's fun to review something when the person that wrote it is right there with you. Well, I'm not sure about that. I'm a bit trepidatious <laughs> being on the show where my module is reviewed. But uh, I certainly thank you for uh, having me on the show again. Uh, thank you very much. I'm not sure if graced would be the appropriate uh, adjective to describe it, but thank you. Yeah, luckily I didn't hate this module. <laughs> that would be real embarrassing. <laughs> luckily, it's real good. <laughs> so before we get to the adventure, let's just uh, do a little bookkeeping real quick. Let's let's hear what we've been doing in gaming recently. I'm going to randomly pick somebody and put them on the spot. So Liz, what have you been doing in gaming recently? Ah, for the most part, same as last time, our AD&D group continues to meet um, virtually. Uh, we just did a game session this past Saturday, and we're supposed to meet again this coming Saturday. Apart from that, that's really all we've been doing, um, as far as I can remember. Um, Still going no other through. Virtual, no other virtual cons for us for some time, so that's pretty much... That's our gaming life. We're gaming with our friends over the computer. <laughs> Still going through Return to the Keep on the Borderlands. Is that a good module? Just off just off the cuff. I've never run that. I mean, Keep on the Borderlands is, of course, a lot of people's favorite modules, mine included. But I've never even read the Return to the Keep on the Borderlands. Does it hold up? Uh, um, it's... I'm, yeah, you go on, Mike. It's got... Good points. Um, <laughs> some of it, I think, eh, are, are a little dubious, but, you know, it, it's it, it's going to be that way, I guess, inevitably, when you remake a classic. Right. That you're going to have crotchety yeah, old but, eyes. You can't help but compare. Um, yeah. I do think there are some points in Return where... <laughs> Some of the encounters are a little too beefed up for the level of play that's supposed to be, you know, done. But on the one hand, old school play is occasionally running into stuff that's too big for you and knowing when to get out. Um, so, again, I'm not sure if I'm just saying, oh, this is too powerful because I'm remembering, well, the original encounter was just like this and, you know, this shouldn't be like that. But, <laughs> so maybe I'm just grognarding here. Um, 
it is sufficiently different that if you are familiar with the original Keep on the Borderlands, you're not going to automatically know how everything is going to happen. And if you try to play it like you know how certain characters are going to behave, you're going to be wrong. So, yeah. <laughs> yep. Okay. All right. Well, I'm treating you guys as like one person, basically. The Mike we, are, Liz. we are the Mike Liz. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, Carol, how about you? Uh, we did another um, RPG camp. Uh, this is for teens, and we were playing 5th edition D&D because it's at our friendly local game store, and that's what they have the most of on the shelves. Um, and uh, But I ran the Xenopus dungeon uh, from Holmes Basic as modified by Arch Xenopus himself from the Arch Xenopus blog. So uh, it was neat getting to run a 1977 dungeon for a bunch of teenagers today. I put Xenopus into the dungeon as an undead spectral force. So they had to kind of suss that out. And then uh, there was this uh, uh, Zach from uh, the Xenopus archives has added some uh, uh, possibilities to go down. And one of them was a group of cultists uh, with um, silver skull masks. And so in this, and it's not, Per the rules, not rules as written, I made this spectral force only uh, 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 destroyed by silver weapons. And so they 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 managed to melt down. They gathered up all the cultists. They took all the skull masks and melt them down to make all of their weapons silvered. And then uh, uh, took out the Xenopus's, uh ghostly apparition. That's pretty clever of them. Was Lamunda the Lovely still in there? I I made Lamunda the previous mayor. So through- okay. Through role play, um, uh, they had kind of encountered the mayor, and 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 he kind of became this dubious figure, uh, which is not called for in the module, but it just sort of happened that way. And so, mm. since he was this dubious figure, I, I and he wasn't mayor for very long. I made there be a previous mayor, and I just made that be Lamunda. So ah. Lamunda, well, Lamunda was there, but she she was changed a little bit. Okay, <laughs> still lovely though. She was she was well. All right then. <laughs> Okay. I also included. Uh, <laughs> no, sorry. I also included a tavern keeper named Large Marge, and they all thought that was great. I don't think any of them got the <laughs> reference, but. <laughs> uh, so let's go on to Mac. Mac, what have you been doing in gaming recently? Uh, we are applying our continuing campaign. The current campaign we have going. This is under Steve, and the normal crew. And uh, we began in two thousand six. Um. And it mainly takes place in the darkened fold. We've been playing that, um, but just the last week, I say no, two weeks ago, uh, Steve wanted to change a pace because we're pretty high level in that game for 2006. We're like 15th, 16th level. Um, he wanted to change a pace, so we started a new first level campaign. Um, and most of the players in this campaign are uh, characters, classes from the Adventurer's Backpack. And um, I'm playing an arcane thief for the first time. Um, he's modeled after uh, Moongloom from the the Elric stories. Um, so that's what we've been playing lately. That sounds cool. Yeah. I would say that um, we've had some challenges with the uh, <laughs> uh, gaming over the internet. Um, uh, Steve particularly has had some challenges with it. He prefers the in-person game to get the kind of... Uh, uh, I don't know what you would call it, the improv feeling you get uh, where people feed off of each other. And we've had a lot yeah, of te- it's a technical difficulties. Yeah, we've had a lot of technical difficulties. People are spread out everywhere. Um, so, uh, but we've, wor- we've worked through it. And uh, I mean, what, el- what other choice do we have right now? So, yeah. Right. I mean, yeah, face-to-face is always better, but, you know, online beats none at all. So, you know. How are you liking the classes and adventures backpack? Uh, so far, uh, everything's going well. Uh, See, so we have an archer, an arcane thief, a warrior priest, a pacer, and let's see. I think the other class is actually a ranger. So, uh, but for the most part, the party's adventurer's backpack. Uh, have you so guys? Was ha- that a conscious decision, or did it just turn out that way that everyone chose? Backpack um, character classes. It just kind of turned out that way. I think everybody wanted to try try something different. Um, uh-huh. uh, 
this is really the first opportunity that we've we've had to do so because, like I said, we've been playing the other games since 2006, hmm. um, and it's the the other game is uh, the second long term campaign that we've had. Um, the first long cam- long term campaign we had started in 1983. That's that's the one that is primarily uh, recorded in the Codex of Aird with Aristobulus and Luther and Dogon and. Uh, Daladon. Um, that that came that campaign ran from eighty three through two thousand two. I think I can't remember. Um, so uh, and we went through a series of event, series of attempted uh, campaigns. Nothing really gelled until around two thousand six, and this current campaign really really took hold. So uh, we'll see where it goes. It's crazy how it just works out sometimes, and other times doesn't without any real change in factors like same group same group of people and sometimes it just does not work and other times it's just totally solidifies in front of you there's no doubt i mean i don't know how many times we've we've thought like we're going to start a new campaign everyone is like fired up everyone has great character ideas and we sit down at the table and nothing gels and it's just like you know everyone's kind of leaves disappointed um and then you have like what you're saying, Carl, it's like you sit down, you may throw a character together in five minutes. And for mm-hmm. some reason, this time, everything meshes and everybody has a great time. You just, you just never know. So, I think that's something that a lot of people want um, that play RPGs. And I think it's really cool that you guys have had that because it's not very common. I don't, I don't think. Um, I know the longest campaign I've ever run, run was three years. And I thought that was awesome. I can't imagine playing a game with the same people for that long. So that's really cool. Yeah, I think it's unusual. And that's what you've told us is what other people have told us. Um, just for whatever reason, you know, um, you know, we started gaming together in 83. And through, you know, everyone's life circumstances, somehow we, we stuck together and we kept ending up in the same same areas where we were living, no matter what we were going through. And we always kept kind of a weekly game going. So that's just kind of been a one constant uh, through all these years. Okay. For me, um, I've just been 3D printing terrain like a crazy person. Um, (laughs) I haven't broke it yet, which is shocking. Um, I haven't got to play any games the last two weeks because I've been doing a lot of camping and stuff like that. But... um, a few weeks ago, I got to play in a CNC game that my friend Matt runs from time to time. Um, so it's always good to go back to CNC, and he's a great castle keeper, and got to do that. But haven't been doing quite a bit of gaming recently, got to admit. So, Mac, um, we got a lot of feedback on the sword and sorcery episode. A lot of people found it interesting. They reached out to us um, looking for copies of it and, and such. Um, and you reached out to us also, to Carl and I, and we had a good conversation about it. Um, so right off the top of your head, what is what is it that you want to say about Sword and Sorcery? Well, first of all, listening to the episode brought back so many memories and things that I had forgotten. Uh, uh, I mean, 20 years ago, um, when we were putting putting together the first, the first adventures uh, in preparation of Gen Con, uh, 2000, uh, which our 20th anniversary of debuting there was uh, August the 10th, just a couple of days ago. I had totally forgotten about it um, until Steve sent out that email with a little video um, that my daughter did. Um, I had totally forgotten it. it was 20 years ago to that day. Um, so, it, like I said, it brought back a lot of memories. Um, as for, I wanted to say, as far as the episode goes, you guys, like, you just smashed it. You, you hammered it. Um, I agree with all of your, uh, all of your criticisms of it. Um, the things you liked about it is what I like about it. And the things you did like about it, um, uh, I, I as well did not like about it. And I think you can see that the things that, uh, we did not like did not make their way into castles and crusades. Um, where, as uh, you guys recognized, uh, a lot of the bones are there uh, that we built off of, and honestly, I think it was, I think it was a good test run in retrospect. Um, 
And I think in, in the long run, it made Castles and Crusades stronger uh, because we realized a couple of things, Davis and I, uh, in putting together Sword and Sorcery, that um, we really don't want to do that like we did in Sword and Sorcery. <laughs> so it's interesting. Uh, the 20-year thing uh, is, is cool because it coincides with this episode because we are going to review the Fantastic Adventure, and that is one of the four products that you guys sold at that original Gen Con, correct? That's correct. Yeah, so I think we've you already have the episodes where we all have recounted the tale of how how the company formed. Um, so we won't we won't rehash that. We've already got three versions of that story. <laughs> <laughs> None of them quite matching exactly. So it's still a mystery, like all good history. <laughs> I, I personally think they're all the same with just little nuances. But I, other people, other people, other people tell me otherwise. So I don't know, but. Um, but uh, yes, so the original intent was we were going to publish uh, three adventures. Uh, each of us were going to write one of them. Um, and so that's what we started doing. When we went to actually get quotes from the printer, um, the printer said, hey, you know, you might as well do a fourth book because um, by the way that the printing presses were set up, I can run two books at once and actually your cost is going to be lower. So we're like, okay, let's go for it. And so Steve uh, put together the little primer on the, the world of aired. Um, I, I think it was called after winter's dark. So it wasn't a module. It was a little campaign book. Um, so the first three adventures were mortality of green, the fantastic adventure after winter dark. And um, shoot, now I'm forgetting. It was not, I always want to say a, uh, Geez, Bob, but that's not it. It was, um, what was the first one? Vakund? Uh, Vakund. Vakund, then Jesus Bob, then Felsen Thumb. I don't know why I can never remember Vakund. But uh, anyways, so those were the first three Such adventures. Such a common name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, me, and Davis go around, me and Davis go round and round over uh, naming conventions. Uh, <laughs> because he, 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 he's kind of like token. He wants everything based in... Uh, and, and some sort of source, and he wants it all to flow together uh, uh, linguistically. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm like, nah, it's just you know, just whatever sounds cool for a fantasy fantasy campaign. I don't really, care if it, I don't really care if it goes together or not. That's what this sounds so, cool to so me. So Davis is responsible for all of those Welsh names with a thousand consonants that show up in some of those early modules. Is that what you're saying? Uh, probably, most likely. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you'll find any of those in the Fantastic Adventures. So, um, yeah, so we put together those three modules. Um, Steve's The Mortality of Green. That was actually based upon a um, an adventure that he initially submitted to, um, I guess it was still TSR at the time. It was a Dungeon Magazine. Steve had written two adventures, and I edited them, and we submitted them to Dungeon Magazine. Like I said, I guess it was TSR. I can't remember if it was TSR or Watsi by that point. But anyways, um, that was came out of one of the ventures he submitted to to them. But then he took it and greatly expanded upon it. Greatly expanded the dark and fold and filled in a ton of details. Um, and honestly, if we if we had submitted that to uh, originally to Dungeon, it probably would have been published. But again. You know, as you go along, you learn these things. Uh, what you know, what you're looking for. It got it got really positive feedback from the editor at the time. I can't remember who it was. It may have been Roger Moore. I don't know. Um, but um, so anyway, Steve expanded uh, that that adventure to Mortality Green. Davis had Vakun, which was based on um, his Inzea setting, and it was built off, I think, of several adventures that he had worked on through the years. Uh, the Fantastic Adventure, however, I didn't have anything that um, I'd written up, so I had to come up with something um, uh, out of the ether. And I was noticing in the in the CNC version of the Fantastic Adventure, I do not see the attribution in the credits, but there the Fantastic Adventure, the idea for it came out of a short story that Steve had written, um, titled "The Anomaly Stone." about Trissold the fairy um, back in the day. And that gave me an idea. And that's, I took that short story and built off of it and then built a fantastic adventure um, around the, the ideas in that short story. 
so before we get into the formal review, even though we don't have any sort of formal review process, um, you said you got your major inspiration from Steve from that story. Um, right. I think so, it's interesting yeah. when you read somebody's adventure module, it, it shows kind of how they run games. And I think that the fantastic adventure is quite a bit different than most of the troll Lord games modules that I've read. Um, so I was wondering, how do you think that the fantastic adventure, um, highlights your castle keeping or dungeon master style? Uh, well, there's no doubt. Yeah. Uh, my games differ greatly from Steve and Davis's, um, Mine are, I guess, a bit more high fantasy, and um, I tend more toward a, a basic and expert style um, uh, of tone, if, if that makes sense. Um, specifically for the Fantastic Adventure, what I was trying to do, and it says it right on the back cover, I believe, is I wanted to play around with the tropes uh, of, of uh, low-level fantasy modules, but at the same time try to capture that same atmosphere if that makes sense um i thought that might help us stand out a little bit um, as a new company as well well i think you hit the nail on the head with it being a, a different type of introductory module i think a lot of games introductory modules are reskins of keep on the borderlands and and other run into the dungeon smash things grab something come back to town and I don't think the Fantastic Adventure is really like that at all. It does turn quite a few of the presumptions you might have about a beginning adventure on its head. Well, that's good that it comes across that way. That's what I intended. I wanted it to be there. If that's what you wanted to do, you can do it. I think that's referenced some, sometimes in the text. But um, I wanted to turn it around. And just like the the bones of sword and sorcery, I mean, the bones of Castle's Crusades are in sword and sorcery, I think you can see some of the thematic elements that would go into Castle's Crusades are in the Fantastic Adventure as well. In that, um, I wanted to I wanted to highlight the story and the narrative um, over just the dungeon crawl, um, if that makes sense. Uh, I think so. Um, I did notice at various points, and this is looking at the CNC version of the module. Um, I'm going to assume that apart from stat blocks and stuff. You know, the adventure is more or less the same from version to version. Is that correct? That's correct. The adventure is exactly the same. They just changed yeah. the fat box for Castle's Crusades, which wasn't that difficult, really. Mm -hmm. uh, well, I noticed, you know, the emphasis appears to be, you know, try to find a nonviolent solution to the problems that the players are running into. Um, and... I think especially for maybe new players, um, that could be either a way, I don't know, I think it might be easier for new players to think like that than, say, people who are used to playing for a long time, especially, you know, groups that, you know, I go into the dungeon, I kill the monster, I get the loot, and suddenly they're faced with a situation it's like, I'm not necessarily supposed to do that. I don't know what to do now. <laughs> yes, that's, uh, that's, that's what I was going for. I'm glad it came across. The, I, wanted to, I wanted to be one of those introductory teaching adventures, but I didn't want the resolution of each conflict to be what was normal and um, honestly had become cliched within, um, within role-playing games, fantasy role-playing role -playing games in particular. Uh, I wanted to show the alternatives that um, uh, player characters, uh, the routes they could take and resolving, uh, resolving the conflicts and in how to develop the story so that you could turn it into a long-term campaign. Um, the, the area that I created, um, uh, the, the Red March, um, uh, was actually not part of Steve's aired, but we did, I, just, I just created it for this adventure and we stuck it in. I think Steve placed it somewhere in the in the world of Verit. I can't remember where he placed it, um, but I intended, you know, I intended to write a follow up adventures to this, and they would all take place in the Red March, so that you know someone could make a little mini campaign, like go from first to maybe sixth level, um, just in the Red March, and then they then their characters could journey outside the Red March into the world of Verit and develop on the campaign that way. Yeah, that would have been cool if you could have done that. Um, 
not to, well, I guess, you know, spoilers really isn't a thing to worry about here, but, you know, the, the villagers don't necessarily trust adventurers in this beginning adventure. And if you'd had the opportunity to write follow-ups, it could have been very interesting to have, you know, perhaps a sense of trust and mutual respect slowly grow between the various villagers of the area and the adventuring party that's hanging out there. Yeah, it seems like it would be ideal, really, for a way to introduce people who had never played a fantasy RPG. This would be a great module to kind of get their feet wet without getting hung up on all the tropes, you know? Before we get more into the adventure, was there anything in particular you guys wanted to talk about as far as sword and sorcery? Well, I guess... um, I guess what I'd like to know is how far or how long after um, you're all of you getting together and making the sword and sorcery rules. um, I mean, how naturally did that um, kind of gel into let's create castles and crusades? Let's see. So we would have started the sword and sorcery rules. Um, and actually, the sword and sorcery rules came about late in the process of going to publication uh, in, uh, in preparation for Gen Con uh, because we realized that. Um, uh, well, I think you guys kind of touched upon this. I won't go into all the details for obvious reasons. Uh, there were legal reasons that uh, we created sword and sorcery, as well as we thought that we needed to include some sort of basis uh, within the modules to unify them uh, with a game system um, that was transferable to not only the world's most popular fantasy game, but other fantasy games at the time. So that again, kind of like Castle's Crusades, you could take it and use it however you wanted to use it in your games or whatever system you were running. But we wanted to establish that it was our own game um, and it was not a copy, uh, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think we started the... Sword and Sorcery Rules late in the process. Uh, me and Davis put those together. Um, and we, we went to Gen Con. We published. Uh, we got picked up by distributors. Uh, I mean, I guess we got lucky, you could say. We got picked up by distributors just at the right time. Uh, the first 20 companies published at that Gen Con, if I re- remember correctly, um, uh, there was a couple companies who had inside contacts with Watsi who were given licenses just for Gen Con. And then, of course, D20 took off. So we got on the D20 bandwagon. The, the distributors wanted us to. The retailers wanted us to. We switched over to D20 for several years. And I'm, I'm sure Steve's probably recounted it elsewhere, maybe even on the, sh- the show that he did. You know, there was the D10- D20 crash. And... Um, Steve had already been thinking about that um, before it actually hit, and we had been discussing it. Uh, me and Davis had always uh, wanted to go back and finish Sword and Sorcery um, and, and create more rules, but um, like I said, we had things we wanted to change. So it was just one of those um, those events where things meet at one time. There's a D20 crash Uh, What is the company going to do to go forward and remain viable? And, you know, instead of relying upon another company's intellectual product, uh, we should really create our own uh, that we can build upon uh, and try and give it, you know, give a swing at that. And that's how Castles and Crusades came about. Um, At that point, I was actually out of the company, but uh, like always, I'm always talking to Stephen Davis, and they began talking in earnest about doing Castles and Crusades. And um, I said, hey, I want to get in on that. Um, me and Davis always wanted to you know, finish the rule system that we had started, um, and then Castles and Crusades took off. Well, uh, moving towards Fantastic Adventure now and talking a little bit about it, one of the things this adventure does, this module that is a bit of a tightrope walk is it sort of um, places the player characters in an ultimatum in a kind of between a rock and a hard place. And anytime a module does that, there is a sense that this could feel really railroaded or really um, 
uh, you know, you're, you're forcing the point. Or if you take away any of the agency of the players, there's a natural resistance to that. So having a situation like in the Fantastic Adventure where they're sort of conscripted to do something against their will, uh, you really manage that well in this module where there are a lot of ways to get into that even if the players decide not to do it. Um, you, you provide yourself a couple of, of uh, escape hatches uh, uh, to uh, get them back into the adventure, even if they are resistant to that first encounter. But the first encounter itself is written so well because they're, they're conned into doing it in, in such a way as to make them feel like, oh, maybe we're making this choice. <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 a it's a railroad where you're hitting hitting the rails a little bit. Yeah, that's that's a, certainly a fair criticism, especially the uh, act one of the of the module being a bit of a railroad. I would say that I probably wrote about this probably went through about ten to twelve drafts, and um, the first draft I would say from beginning to end was probably a railroad adventure, um, and I tried to tried to hone it um, as uh, I went through additional drafts and we submitted it to some play testers who gave some similar feedback. And, um, so I kept, I kept going back and trying to add possibilities, um, in each of the acts so that, um, it would provide for, again, I think kind of like part of the railroad effect was thinking that this was for introductory players and they don't, they don't necessarily always know what to do. Right. At the same, at the same time for experienced players, they're going to know it right off the bat that they're being railroaded. So, uh, yeah, I mean, brand new players frequently feel overwhelmed by their choices. Yes, and this, I think, sets a really good level of keeping you know brand new people on the story arc without having to decide. Oh God, what if I decide wrong? You know, I, I keep yeah. bringing up keep on the borderlands, and I think that's a the adventure a lot of people have started with. <laughs> And as awesome as it is, I don't know if any of you have had this experience, but I, I started a group that had very little to no role-playing experience. And, of course, we started with Keep on the Borderlands. But there were so many options. It's like they showed up at the castle, and then what do they do? <laughs> you know, because they don't know how to play the game. I think that although you could say this this is a little railroady to begin with, um, I think it eases that like you said, for a, a new player. Well, and let me reiterate what, what I was trying to say. I wasn't trying to be like, ah, it's a railroad. Bah, <laughs> uh, what I was, what That's I was normally my line. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> bah. Bah. <laughs> no, um, what I was uh, 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 getting at is that you took a difficult scenario and made it work. In my mind, if this had been any other way, as if this had been, they show up and say you're guilty of crimes and you have to do this. It would, it would be hit with such resistance from the players. But what yeah. you've done is have it a con where the villagers are on your side. Yeah. You can be heroes just for one day. Or at least appear. To, yeah. And, uh, yeah. And so, yeah, they, they're totally not They're They're, they're not <laughs> on your side, but yeah, they, the, 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 that element of the plot makes it, even if it is a railroad. And I think every adventure to some degree is a railroad. I mean, you can arrive at the keep and go, all right, let's go, let's go West forever and not even do any of this. Uh, you know, I mean, every, everything's a railroad to some extent, everything requires some amount of buy-in, but yes. you've done this in a way that um, the buy-in doesn't feel like, like you don't get a choice. And even if after all that, you make the choice not to by running into the other adventuring party, uh, which we'll definitely need to talk about. Um, you get another way into the adventure. Yes. Um, yeah, I'm glad that came across. Um, and I hope so. The, um, the other thing that, and this, this, this is the, the, the conclusion of the module, but going back to Liz's point about expanding the, the red March and continuing campaign, um, you know, the railroad affected the first and the villagers are in on the con, but you find out at the end, the villagers themselves um, are not fully cognitive of what they are what they are doing, and so the players can come to learn this, of course, and it kind of gives the villagers an out. So you can go back to the West Fork Village, 
as, as the players not hold necessarily pure grudges against them because it was not not necessarily of their doing. And that allows you to continue on as heroes in the area and go on other adventures in the area. And you can make your base of operations West Fork, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Well, I just want to say kudos for including a rumor table because I'm all about rumor tables. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love rumor tables. I love all the old tropes um, of all the other adventures. You don't always see them anymore. Um, and they always have to be a D12 rumor table, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes, even better if you use a D12. Um, but yeah, not only was it a rumor table, not only do you use a D12, but you also had a few rumors sprinkled throughout that did not have a true or a false resolution. And the CK gets to decide for themselves, is this rumor going to be true for my campaign? And that kind of personalizes it. Uh, thank you. Um, yes, I like, I like throwing things like that in uh, when I write something um, because you never know what's going to happen in the game. And um, you obviously don't know how every, every group plays. And there may be a moment of inspiration during the game where CK is thinking, well, as far as that rumor is concerned, I really was leaning against it. But because now this has happened, A, B, and C have happened. Um, Actually, I'm going to change my mind. I'm going to build a, a you know a backstory or a storyline off of that uh, that can weave into the overall campaign arc. I think uh, one of my favorite things about the Fantastic Adventure, which took me by surprise again, because I assumed it's going to be like most introductory modules. There's not really there's some some more animalistic enemies in here, but there's not really any evil characters you know you have the townsfolk that are i mean they did put you up <laughs> to this mission they did um uh, frame you right um but they've been disillusioned by adventurers in the past that have preyed upon them the group of monsters that we'll talk about later they're all monsters but they're just trying to rescue their friend and then you get to the monk that's in the monastery and although he is now monstrous He's really more of a tragic character. So I, th I think that's another neat thing that sets it apart from your usual run into the, the introductory dungeon, fight a bunch of goblins or some orcs, and uh, get a magic sword or something and come back to town. Yeah, thank you again. Yeah, that's, that's what I intended. Like each time, each time you come across something, I wanted to try to kind of spin it around uh, uh, and provide a, a different perspective uh, from, the, from the usual yeah, the villain of this story uh, has booked, has left. <laughs> so you never get to encounter um, uh, Ozana. If I, if, is that the correct pronunciation? Is it Ozana? Yes. yes. Uh, so is Ozana in other uh, products? Has Ozana made a return in any uh, future products of yours? Or is this the only mention of Ozana? I'm not sure if Ozana appears in any other products. Ozana was a wizard in um, Steve's um, original campaign that I played with him uh, in Aired. Uh, like I said, that was detailed in the in the Codex of Aired. Uh, Ozana was a wizard and and a group of uh, uh, wizards that my character Ristabulus was was part of. There were twelve wizards, um, and Ozana was basically became a traitor and became a an antagonist in that campaign. Um, so I utilized utilized him in this adventure uh, again um, I was going to expand upon this with a series of modules and eventually I was going to have Ozana come back um, at the conclusion um, of the campaign arc um, but I never never got around to it <laughs> <laughs> it's it's castles and crusades bargle <laughs> I was just thinking that yeah bargle <laughs> So I, I think we should go ahead and move on to the uh, the the adventuring party you run into. Yeah, so this is interesting. This this goes again to what we were talking about earlier, as far as how the company was formed and how this adventure came about. And this will show you sometimes the uh, uh, how <laughs> the uh, the economics of running a company. Uh, can affect your creative output. Uh, 
So when I was putting together this, this adventure, um, like I said, the idea was based upon the short story that Steve had written. But um, the other pieces kind of uh, came together over time. And so while we were looking for an artist uh, for, the, for the modules, um, of course, back at that time, we had a very small budget we were working with. And we couldn't just go to, obviously, the industry mainstays and say, hey, you know, can you create some art for, for these modules and covers, etc." So um, I, searched for, I searched and searched for months. I finally found Jason Walton. And, um, in fact, the, all of the art and all of the first three modules uh, was art that he had already created and was on his website. And it just so happened that the kicker was was the the cover for the mortality of grain. It just fit so perfect. So we took the other art he had and meshed it with the ideas for each module. And I was so struck by the painting he had done of these um, these monster NPCs. So I, mean, I guess technically he's the co-creator of these characters uh, because he was my inspiration. And that was ah, so that, the art was the inspiration for the yes the characters. That's and pretty cool. Oh, so for, for Dragonlance. Yes, and so is the background. The background of the cover as well. I worked that into the map. I did the map. Another one of my inspirations for this module it was. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Lord Dunsany's um, cartography. That was the model for the the map that I created for the Red March. I even mimicked um, some of his. Um, stylistics as far as the way the trees are drawn and some of the geography and worked it in. Um, but again, going back to this, this painting that Jason um, had created um, in the background, you see like the, the aqueduct type bridge leading to the castle. Um, I stuck that into the map that was not you know initially going to be there, but uh, I fit it in. So anyways, the artwork was not created for this adventure. The artwork was fit into this adventure uh, because that's what we could afford to put in the module at the time. <laughs> uh, the Minotaur on the front, though, I mean, I think he's awesome. He kind of, yes. I don't know, he's very evocative. Yeah, and going back to, I think, what you said earlier, Carl, um, is, or maybe it's Jesse, as far as uh, my style of adventure is uh, a bit different from Stephen Davis's. They are much more uh, grounded in realism. Um, I think I think I remember them questioning me um, as far as choosing this for the cover of my adventure, but I felt like it fit it fit my style of, of CKing or running a game, um, and and it gave me the idea for uh, putting these monster NPCs in there and them not being uh, what you what you thought they were going to be. So I want to go over them real quick. There is Kirby Jack. <laughs> the uh, Sater Ranger, and I assume that's a Jack Kirby homage in the name, or is that just a happenstance? No, it's a Jack Kirby homage. Uh, as anyone who knows me for some time, uh, I go on and on about Jack Kirby and how he is not recognized as one of the greatest artists of the 20th century, um, uh, especially pop culture-wise, and the many influences that he has had um, that are probably well docu documented elsewhere, but yes, that is that is based on Jack Kirby. Yeah, Mike and I were going to ask about Tree Sold the fairy if that was an a mashup of Tristan and Isolde, but you said that was a character of Steve, so I guess technically we would need to ask Steve if that's what was going through his head. Yes, I mean it could, it could very well be, um, but um, yes, uh, that, I took that name directly from the story that I remember. So it's interesting that we have a character based off of the art of someone else, fleshed out, named after Jack Kirby, who <laughs> <laughs> quite yeah. famously has many characters that we know and love that he doesn't. So anyway, that's interesting. <laughs> I don't yeah, want to get into like a big drag out fight about comics or anything. It's just, it's neat. Well, that, it's I, like, are, are, yeah. are you and Mac going to get into a fight about Jack Kirby now? <laughs> Um, yeah, I never thought of it that way. I guess, I guess I did. I guess we did follow, I guess I did follow the Marvel style <laughs> <laughs> in, in creating these characters because the, art, the artwork came first. 
Um, yeah, okay, and uh, there is Leonidas, a minotaur sorcerer. Uh, there is Maximilian, a giant uh, who is a fighter, and there is Octo, a witch orb cleric. Yes. Uh, Leonidas, um, I mean, like we talked about, uh, switching the tropes around, Leonidas, it wasn't the big, bad, bruising minotaur that you typically see. Um, mm-hmm. I, wanted, I wanted him to come from a... a uh, a very like Roman society. Uh, he was all logic and thought, uh, and he was calm. Maximilian, uh, kind of the gentle giant, but um, Lowell, uh, to Kirby Jack and what he was doing. And then uh, Octo was, a, again, a playoff of what was going on in the world of Erd um, under Unclar. Uh, there's there a storyline you can find in the world of Erd where uh, Unklar would take a lot of his high priest and turn them into beholders. Um, so that was a play off a, a play off of that, um, and that kind of kind of worked that into his background. Uh, like he was never really complete, uh, and that also uh, fitted into the artwork, of course. Um, and he was he was saved, um, uh, as is described in his background. I think he was saved by Maximilian, if I if I recall mm-hmm. correctly. So. Um, and he had a change of alignment based on that. Well, uh, they spoke to my son, my, my son, Connor, who's seven, uh, saw the cover as I was reading this. Uh, he, he loved the characters on the cover. I showed him their character sheets within the book and he was very, very interested. And so we played this today just for a little bit. Oh. Um, but he played Kirby, Jack, Leonidas, Maximilian and Octo. That's awesome. Uh, so I had him run into the adventuring party as those characters. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> wow, that's fantastic. And they killed them all and took their stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so I, no, he, he, he challenged them. He was shooting arrows at their feet just to, to, to talk to them. So it was interesting to, to reframe it from their perspective. That's fantastic. He especially liked Maximilian the Giant, though he did rename him Rufus. Okay. Does Arkansas? I don't know. He likes the name Rufus. I said that's that's a good name. I think the the NPC monsters really do bring a level of whimsicalness to this, and I don't mean that in like a bad way at all. Um, They are pretty interesting characters, and I can see why kids would really really like them. Absolutely. And um, in these characters' descriptions, there's another holdover from Sword and Sorcery that evidently made it through the editing that you guys brought up um, in the last uh, episode. If you look at Leonidas's disposition, which one, they still the term disposition is still in this module. Mm-hmm. Instead of alignment. Yeah. And it has good slash lawful, uh, <laughs> which, is, which goes to the disposition that was in the Sword and Sorcery rules that you guys had brought up. And um, I had totally forgotten about that um, until you guys brought it up last episode about how we, how we had framed that. So, yeah, Kirby Jack and Leonidas both have disposition, but then you go to Maximilian and Octo, and they have alignment. So, <laughs> yeah, I'd forgotten about the disposition and all the possibilities that we had put into sword and sorcery. Mm-hmm. Well, I did notice reading through it. Um, I think there's like a blurb saying, you know encouraging the CK to be sure to introduce the monster NPC party to the players. Um, You know, basically if you don't run into them at the Creek, make sure they meet up inside the ruins of the monastery. And so I was wanting to ask you if you remember at this point, what had been your mindset that you were feeling the players need to run into these NPCs? Uh, well, I mean, one, they're, they're my favorite part of the adventure are these NPCs. Um, and, um, I mean, going back to the way that I used to play, um, when as a player, uh, my DM would always have to cover the module out so you could see it. So <laughs> I didn't want the players to like somehow avoid the, <laughs> avoid these NPCs and never run into them. They're like, well, what happened? Well, we thought we were going to meet these, you know, meet these guys. <laughs> Uh, I was promised a giant. <laughs> <laughs> Where's and, the minotaur? <laughs> uh, so I just thought, you know, I thought you, 
just thought it'd be it'd be a waste if you, if they if they were not introduced at some point, um, because I thought it, it provided for a lot of different storylines. Can you imagine if you don't meet them at the creek? You're in the dungeon. You just clean up some giant centipedes like that's nothing, and then you come around the corner and there's this group of people: <laughs> a minotaur sorcerer, a beholder, a giant, and a satyr. Like that, that would probably freak you out being levels one through three. <laughs> Most of the players I know, the experienced ones, if they went around the corner and found that, they would have ran. <laughs> <laughs> like, ah! I think I remember, if, if that's not mistaken, I think I think I did put in there that if if they do encounter them in the monastery, that Maximilian is not with them because he sprained his ankle. That's right. That is right, yeah. Yeah, it, it provides uh, uh, options even up to the discovery of the fairy. Um, yeah. Uh, if you have not, if you don't have uh, Kirby Jack with you, having Kirby Jack with you at that point is a huge boon. <laughs> right, <laughs> That's not right. a whole lot. Yeah. That was the other thing. Yeah. If you don't, if you don't encounter them initially, then the CK needs another way that the players can gain the information before they meet a Tom um, uh, So they can get some of the information about uh, Trissold. Um, ahead of time. I think that the way you did the setting in this is exactly how everybody should do settings and publications. It's You got some depth there with the uh, special trees and, and everything like that, a little bit of backstory, but it's not overwhelming. There's not a bunch of crazy names in there. Like You can read the backstory of the general area without falling asleep. <laughs> and uh, I really appreciated that. That was... Um, that was pretty good. I, I really do like uh, the Red March. Uh, thank you. Yeah, that's that's the way I typically write my adventures. Um, that's and those are the adventures that I that I like to read are the same way. I don't like too much detail. I like to have plenty of room to explore and build, but uh, I like to have a few. Uh, you know, th- there to be a few signatures uh, and things that stand out that build the the evocative nature of the area you're in. Uh, but I don't want it to be where you know, the players can get some sort of book and they think, you know, X, Y, and Z, this is exactly the way this should be. This is the way this village is. This is the way this forest is. It doesn't give the CK much room to uh, build future adventures. Yeah, it's a very fine line because some people obviously are going to want a lot of details already handed to them, but other CKs are not going to want it all spoon-fed. They they want that room to move and, you know, put their own stamp on it. Um, and I think you run across the, the problem of no matter what you do, there's going to be someone who says you did too much or you didn't do enough. And so if you can just kind of find that mythical happy medium that's really the best you can hope for. And then everyone hates you equally. Yes. <laughs> well, that's it. But it's equal. Yeah. At the end of the day, at the end of the day, I just I write adventures that I would like to play um, because, there, like you said, there's no way to please everyone. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just I write the adventures that I would like to play. So not just for the huge bucks and social prestige is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not. I still haven't found those. Ah, no. <laughs> you you did buy your first yacht with the proceeds from Fantastic Adventure, <laughs> didn't you? Oh yeah, yeah. Cruising around last weekend. The SS Fantastic Yacht. <laughs> <laughs> the SS Kirby Jack. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the location of the adventure that we barely touched upon the actual uh, uh, the the dungeon, if there is a dungeon. Uh, in this adventure is the Octumnix Monastery, uh, and it's a it's a about a thirteen uh, room dungeon. Uh, uh, that's that's a, mm-hmm. um, a pretty um, open. Uh, you know, it's not it's not a you, you you could you could bypass quite a bit of this dungeon <laughs> um, uh, pretty easily. Um, Yes, just by exploring around, which I love. I love that uh, approach where it's not a, it's not just you go to this room and then you're going to have to go to the next room. If you're going to get to the end of the dungeon, you'll have to go through this path. It is, it is pretty open to exploration, and I like that a lot. Yeah, that was by design. Um, I don't like what you were just, one. I don't like very, very long dungeon delves. Mm-hmm. 
and um, and I don't like where again it's kind of very railroaded. Like I go through each room, builds upon one another all the time uh, to bring some sort of realism to it. Um, uh, not everything in the dungeon fits into the overall storyline. Some of it's just kind of uh, um, the story that's built upon the history that's there. And then at the bottom of that dungeon is uh, Octumnix uh, 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 himself. Uh, and he is a Frankenstein's monster at this point and uh, th- could could easily be the big bad monster to fight at the end of this dungeon, but in fact is not and uh, is a... Uh, 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 this this work in progress that was abandoned, but then still gained sentience in life, and is kind of cursed to to live this incomplete existence. And uh, the real goal of this adventure is to free him of that. Spoilers, yes. absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, massive spoilers. Uh, uh, at this point, maybe I'll put a little. Uh, uh, <laughs> at some point <laughs> in this episode, I'll put a little uh, 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 editor's note of like, at this point, we're going to really spoil the module. So if you're going to be playing this, stop listening. Yeah, he's a, he's. But it's it's several years old. It's now, twenty years so, old. Yeah. Come on. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's a tragic figure, in, in, um, um, like Frankenstein, and also like, again, like many of Jack Kirby's characters, um, that he's known for. Uh, they have a similar storylines and tragedy. Uh, for example, the thing. Um, so, Octomnix uh, follows in that mode or in that archetype, if you will. Um, and um, although he was cursed uh, at the end of his life uh, to live what life he has left, which is not much, um, he was bound to repeat it by capturing Trizold and mm-hmm. uh, and cursing him as well uh, and making him a tragic figure. Um, so at the end, the the players actually have the opportunity to save both of these, um, both of these lives, um, and the town of Westwork, if you will. So I kind of feel like we jumped all over the place. <laughs> uh, I just I just thought of something else. I was gonna th- I was going to throw in about the NPC characters and go back and edit this in. However, but um, in the SNS episode, you guys were discussing about the um, in the spell section. There was no actual spells given. If you if you look in the character descriptions for the NPC monsters, um, there are spells given um, in Leonidas and um, Octo's stat blocks, oh. um, and um, some of those are based. Uh, the names are what you would typically see, and some of those are uh, variations of other spells or or kind of new not kind of new creations or play plays off other spells. Um, for example, there is, um, in Leonidas, um, there's detect secret doors, but there's also one called map. Uh, summons a minor elemental that inscribes a map with the tools provided last six hours. So you can have like a, you know, a little, uh, elemental going along map in the dungeon for you. Um, and, um, Octo, there is a, a pain ray. Causes shooting pain and target for two to five rounds. Target receives minus two to all rows, range 30 feet. So those are the type of spells we had envisioned for uh, sword and sorcery. If we, if we would have had time to fit in actual spell spell tables, they would have been just, just like that. There would not have been spell blocks. There would have just been these little one-line descriptions. Mm-hmm. Cool. Sort of like how they were done in the CNC white box. Yes, I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's correct. Jump around even further. I do really love the very beginning of the module, uh, where there's the troll lord speaks and it gives a warning to the players not to read <laughs> the module. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'd forgotten about that too when I reread this. <laughs> it's very old school, though. Yeah, it's kind of akin to uh, Gary Gygax saying that players shouldn't read the Dungeon Master's Guide and should suffer all kinds of complications if they do so. And of course, none of them did. i tried to throw in as many old school things into this that i could Uh, well we've covered a lot is there anything uh that we've not spoken on yet uh mac that you would like to cover about the fantastic adventure or sword and sorcery i had in my mind there were specific things about sword and sorcery that you you can find that carried over to cnc um that we've already talked about um i think one of those is probably the races you guys touched upon that uh, where 
just like in CNC, we, we gave incentive for playing humans and trying mm-hmm. to get, trying to get people away from uh, from the standard uh, racial racial character uh, combinations. Um, that was kind of part of the reason. And sword and sorcery is just like if you want to be a halfling, be a halfling. If you, yeah, your stats are the same no matter what. Right, and whatever your disposition is, uh, whatever, whatever, however you want to play the character, uh, just play it that way, um, and work with work with your you know your game master uh, to develop whatever you know uh, racial attributes you might or might not have. But I know there was things in Sword and Sorcery we did not want to do, and you guys touched upon those in the last episode. Like, um, it became quite apparent that. We did not want to stat all the monsters. We didn't. <laughs> neither my, myself or Davis liked that idea. I don't know why we did it in this. I can't remember, but um, that became clear. We were not going to do that in the Castle's Crusades. And uh, once we came up with the prime secondary um, uh, dynamic, um, it made it easy to do the the physical or mental or both for the monsters um, to give the to give the CK more more leeway and uh, build them as they wanted. Um, so, like I said, this. Sword and Sorcery was a testing ground for CNC. Well, the Prime system certainly is more elegant. Yes, thank you. I think it is, too. Um, like I said, I think we took the best part of Sword and Sorcery. You can see the bones of it. and uh, I think those, not necessarily always intentionally, but they at least unconsciously made their way into the Castle Crusade's final product. Even the attribute like might, you know, um, might um, kind of gets to the idea of the Prime in that... When you say strength, everyone just brings to mind some muscle-bound person. Uh, but when you say might, um, it opens up the parameters of, of what that could mean. And so a, a character in CNC with a 12 strength uh, that's a prime uh, as opposed to a character with an 18 strength that's a secondary attribute, um, it provides a more range of development of the character and how they're described and what you can do in the game. Um, I think probably with CNC, if if we purely wanted to make it um, uh, the way that we had wanted to, um, some of those types of ideas would have made their way in. Uh, we probably would have changed the naming of some of the attributes. Uh, we, we may have actually went with the archetype slash roles idea, uh, but because uh, we were building off uh, the OGL um, and going for... Um, I think what now is um, whatever you want to call it, uh, the retro uh, backward retro compatibility. Yeah, yes, backward compatibility. Yeah, yeah. We stuck with we stuck with all the you know all the typical what you're what you're expecting, um, even to the inclusion of uh, classes that you know we we probably would not have had in, but for that mm-hmm. reason, like the monk and the assassin, uh, those are not those are not played very heavily in our games, uh, but but we felt that we need to put them in uh, for the history of the game. And, and what we were trying to do. Thanks again, Mac, for being on the show. It's always good to have you. Um, it's always good to get this perspective, especially now that Trollard Games has turned 20 years old. It's it's not a new game anymore. It's it's pretty amazing that it's stayed the same this whole time. And it's cool to pick up these little tidbits of history. And it was cool to review the Fantastic Adventure, even though we probably we were probably too easy on you, honestly. I don't think we said one bad thing about it. Yeah, I think you were. I called it a massive railroad out of the gate. <laughs> That's true. He did. <laughs> That's true. Thanks for being a bad guy, Carl. Now they can't complain that you were too nice. Well, Holly, Holly enjoyed, Holly enjoyed uh, being on here again. Thank you again for inviting me. Um, and uh, like you said, things stay the same. I can't believe it's been 20 years. So, uh, <laughs> I guess we just need we need Tyler on here uh, with his uh, with his uh, old old closeout. I forgot how he said it, but the way the way, the way things stay the same. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, he's he's at the end of every episode. Yeah, we. Uh, yeah. I, I edit him in. He's still with the show, as far as I'm concerned. His spirit watches over. Us. Like, Tyler he's, will he's never called, get away. Tyler Juan Kenobi. Exactly. <laughs> All right, thanks, guys. Uh, look, look forward to uh, talking with you again sometime. Yeah, okay. I, I just just closing out. I want to say I think this is going to become my go-to adventure to run for kids when I introduce them to role-playing games from now on. Regardless of what system I use to introduce them, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna gonna go with this one just because it has so many elements that are that are very uh, kid-friendly. I think they'll they'll really enjoy it. Yep. 
that's fantastic. I really, I really, I really like that. Um, and um, I think your idea of actually going ahead, you could actually go ahead, take the four monster NPCs, uh, pop them down to first level, uh, redo their stats and just hand those out to the kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, they probably get a kick out of that. And, um, and then just go with your, your reinvention of the adventure, I think would be fantastic. You got to say goodbye, Mike and Liz. Wait, what? No, no one said goodbye yet. You haven't even said goodbye yet. <laughs> what? Come on. I, I, think was, I thanked him for coming on. Okay, okay. And now I can't. Now I don't know what to say. Now I have stage fright. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I did want to say I did want to say goodbye and uh, thank all of the fans of Trailer Games and Castle Crusades uh, for the twenty years that uh, you've supported us. Uh, it's it just gives a great feeling, and uh, like I said, I can't believe it's been twenty years. But uh, thank you to everyone. And thank you guys for creating this podcast. Well, thank you for being on and thank you for the great game. Hopefully it'll be 20 more. Hopefully so. (laughs) Thanks so much, Mac. Okay, I will say goodbye. (laughs) (laughs) Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, everybody. (laughs) Goodbye. Briark Stone. Briarch still. The Briarch stone. The villagers. The villagers are seeking the Briarch stone. The goblin nightmare. Some games may change, but the castle's crusade siege engine remains the same. Although, in a way, you could say that it was almost a proto-5e, because 5th edition allows you to play depending on the type of Dungeons & Dragons that you're most comfortable with. So, in a way, you could say that you were the forerunner. (laughs) Well, considering how much else of CNC went into 5e... You did it first. <laughs> I better keep my lips closed on that. <laughs> There's plenty to say. That's okay. <laughs> we'll say it. Yeah. It's personally my favorite uh, CNC retro clone, but it's nothing like a real thing. <laughs> yeah, they should have stayed closer to the original material. I tell you. <laughs> These retro clones always got to change something. Got to change something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that either won't make it to the podcast or it'll be the credit stinger. <laughs> <laughs>